Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossick, and uh, Russell Hanby, my co-host, is there to join me in what's making news for this week. Welcome, uh, co-host Russell Hanby. Thanks, Henry. And how are you today? Good, good. Do you like the title, co-host? Uh, yes, it's, uh, I suppose it elevates me to roughly uh, equal to you, doesn't it, in this segment, sort of? <coughs> Yes, it does. <laughs> well, you are. Actually, I learnt my trade off you. You were the guy who introduced me to radio. So if people out there have a problem with me, as we've often said, it's your fault. Yeah, I told you to press the buttons how to do it, didn't I? And uh, <laughs> but, but these days you don't even have to do that now. Oh, no, things are so different. It was all live to air in those days, wasn't it? Yeah, yes. You know, everything was live to air all the time. There was no pre-recording was. much, as there is now. There was pre-recording, but certainly not to the level no. that we do I'm, now. I remember when I was doing the fishing show with the boys there, you'd come in after that at, at just uh, at nine o'clock and we'd I used to wait for a little white car to come whizzing into the car park, you know. Um, right, and you guys would be signing off as I'd come whizzing yeah. in. And, of course, it's all computerised even then. You know, you've got computer screens up. I, I look back and I think, wow, you know, um, the, the technology savviness that you have to be when you've got phones that you're ringing to um, get guests, you've got to play ads, you've got to have the music, you've got two computer screens up and you've got the uh, keyboard there out in front of you. There's a... As a, you don't realise when you get good at something or competent at it that, um, well, there's a fair bit of skill in that, isn't there? Yes, yeah. and it's interesting. And I do a music program on Thursday mornings and uh, uh, sometimes I use about five different technologies. I still play the odd uh, LP record from yesteryear. We've got two turntables and, uh, I, and I take my iPad along sometimes to plug in to the system if I've got anything recorded on that. And as well as that, we've got CDs. I use a lot of them. And we've got this uh, Zeta system, the computer system, where we've got uh, all these uh, songs and things on the screen and uh, we have all our sponsorship breaks coming from that. So there's about four or five different technologies. Oh, yeah, there is. There absolutely is. And you, you've got to be sad. And you'd think, you know, when you first started all those years ago, really, no, most of those technologies weren't there. No, just records and uh, cassettes never took on. We couldn't quite get the quality to, for radio with those cassettes. No, uh, so they no. weren't, so they've got mini discs instead later. Which, right, uh, which didn't then, last long either, mini discs. No, they disappeared. That's right. Yep, and the CDs took over, of course, and uh, now it's all MP3 and uh, Spotify and all these other streaming services, isn't there, coming Absolutely. In? And your program, <laughs> I asked earlier, what's it called on a Thursday? Uh, midweek matinee. You might ask why a Thursday it's called midweek. It's because I used to do it on Wednesdays and I didn't want to change the name. You see what I mean? Oh, right. You changed the day, but you kept the name. Yes. Which is actually interesting, Russell, because as we that segues so well into what's making news because our very first item, Russell, the age this week had hard-earned Thursday needs a big cold beer. As colleagues descended on city pubs on a Thursday afternoon and clinked glasses, there's a new saying to describe that end-of-week feeling. Thursday is the new Friday, just as, uh, what is it, Thursday is the new Wednesday for you. Yes. (laughs) Well, yes, well, uh, since working from home, uh, we know it's become the, the new norm for the CBD, Thursday's become the new Friday. Now, they've looked and found there's 60% occupancy of the main buildings on a Thursday. Well, however, Mondays and Fridays, there's only 32%. That's according to Property Council, uh, their October data. Now, after 5pm on Thursdays, workers fill city bars, and uh, Thursdays also popular for the city restaurants, uh, the early ones after 5pm. 
Now, Fridays and Saturdays are still popular for family occasions and get-togethers after 7 p.m., but the, the main day, Monday, is pretty quiet all around. Uh, now, also Thursday is the day for long corporate lunches, which traditionally was Friday. Uh, Paul uh, Waterson of the Australian uh, Venue Company said that Thursday sales were up about 10% compared with pre-pandemic. He's got 11 CBD venues and uh, he reckons it's up to him. In fact, the Duke of Wellington, another chain, the hotel there, sales are up 39% on on Thursdays compared with uh, 2019. So it certainly is the new Friday, isn't it? Yes. um, In saying that, it doesn't kick on all night, uh, they say, until 3am like a Friday night because you've still got the Friday to come to work. But they do see early trade at knockoffs where the whole team gets together in the pub. Interesting how that's happened, Russell. I mean, uh, why? Is there a particularly logical reason? Well, one could say because a lot of uh, bosses let them come in three or four days a week, uh, you tend to think, well, I'll have a long weekend, even though I'm working on the Friday and Monday from home. So I think it's because it's uh, tacked onto that Saturday, Sunday, that people like the Friday off, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, We haven't given them a Friday off in schools yet. I suppose they'll they'll read that article and they'll come a knocking. (laughs) We'll keep that one quiet. Um, We always like to good putting good um, medical health stories, Russell. And here's another one. Yes, new treatment offers kidney cancer hope. Uh, Patients with inoperable kidney cancer may now have access to a potential cure thanks to a new treatment being pioneered at the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre. Yeah, the centre's working in collaboration with 12 international institutes across five countries. Uh, They've uh, just done a five-year study that includes 35 Victorian patients now, what they use now is a highly precise form of radiotherapy. Its full name is Stereotactic Ablative Body Radiotherapy, or SABR for short. Now, that treats primary renal cell carcinoma or kidney cancer. Uh, Associate Professor Shankar Siva said that this was the most exciting achievement of his career. And in fact, it now offers an option for patients with inoperable kidney cancers. Up to now, there have been few options for cure. Now, what it does, it targets kidney cancers with this SABR, and it's been shown to effectively eradicate tumours, prevent spread, and triggers long-term remissions in patients. So it sounds uh, like it's a great breakthrough, isn't it? It appears to be an outstanding breakthrough. They're making breakthroughs in lots of areas, and uh, yes, um, for people for whom it's inoperable, um, that's... Uh that's a real bonus. It may even, I don't know, Russell, I'm not a medical person, but it may segue into cases where it is operable. Uh, maybe this is a preferable treatment when they get all the research in down the track that it might even be um, a better option than uh, surgery, uh, even though surgery is available. That, that, could, that could happen too, couldn't it? Yes. In fact, their goal is to improve access to this uh, treatment for kidney cancer patients worldwide. So they're pretty confident that this is uh, working, I think. Mm. And uh, it's another another example, isn't it, Russell, of where um, medical researchers in, in Australia are contributing very, very, very significantly to research in a worldwide basis. We're certainly, we're certainly doing our share of it. We are indeed, and uh, every week we mention some new breakthrough, and it's often Melbourne-based too, isn't it, with the research that's going on? Yeah, absolutely. We take a short break, Russell. You won't go away, will you? Oh, no, I'll hang around. Good on you. <laughs> Listeners, you hang around too.
You're listening to What's Making News with Henry Grosak, uh, part of the very popular Viewpoints program, and uh, here's Henry. Hello, Russell. How are you? Oh, no, this is just a we're returning, we aren't starting. You you, you love that. As co-host, you've got to do your share of the work, don't you? Well, yes, and you give me more and more, so that's good, isn't it? Yes, and and, and (laughs) I noticed that you've been avoiding a particular topic. So um, (laughs) I remember that I used to try to get out of homework as as a kid at school. Now, we haven't mentioned it. You've not offered it, but uh, you did have some homework. I can only presume you've done it. Yes, I've done you a little have. bit of research. Yes, yes. Oh, what was it on? I uh, remember we talked about recycling soft plastics in the supermarket. Mm. Come to a, a grinding stop now uh, because uh, the company that collects it all, Red Cycle, uh, has stopped collecting it. Now, in their statement, Red Cycle attributed the failure to a backlog caused by an increase of volumes by 350% since uh, 2019. Now, they also noted unforeseen challenges such as one of their key partners closed the uh, the loop, having a significant fire which made them unable to process plastics as they rebuilt their plant. Now, what that particular group did, they converted the soft plastics into asphalt uh, additives and binding agents, and that made it untenable pressure for the Red Cycle business. Apparently, Red Cycle don't personally do it but they do sort of farm it out and it's the the, the sub the, the people that have gone uh, away that causes the problem mm-hmm. now, the several challenges are exacerbated by the pandemic uh its other partner red plas r-e-d-p-l-a-s they, they converted it into outdoor decking and furniture they've ex- uh, experienced significant pandemic related downturns in market demand as well as other challenges and another one plastic forests they were into garden planting kits They've stopped too. Now, the program's collapse is the latest in a series of disasters to hit Australia's nascent plastic recycling industry, which has been plagued for years with issues of stockpiling, dumping, toxic fires, lax regulation, high costs and the closure of international markets. So that's why they weren't able to continue. Ah, well, that's uh, that's been a lot of work uh, you, that you've done. We there's still some question marks there, but that uh, that's a pretty good explanation, Russell, and um, we'll accept that. And you get a pass for that. Oh, thanks. Yes. Now um, we've got some good news. Uh, back to what's making news: the age zoo who elephant out of the womb. Melbourne Zoo has announced the birth of a baby elephant, make, marking the first natural conception for the herd. At the zoo, and there's some beautiful pictures there of That's right. the new baby. You might like to uh, Marley's calf. Yeah, yeah. So on the uh, on the news the other night, they showed pictures of the birth actually taking place. So it was quite uh, spectacular uh, to watch. Uh, yes, uh, following a 22 month pregnancy, Mother Dukun gave birth to a female Asian elephant calf on Wednesday. The father, Luke Chai, came down from Taronga Western Plains Zoo in Dubbo. Uh, and he did the job well. And two other elephants, Num Oi and Marley, are also pregnant. Uh, and their babies, they're expected in December and early January. Now, Dukin's third uh, birth, it is, it's her third birth, and in fact, second daughter. Now, the 29-year-old Dukon, the mother there, set a record in 2010 as having the first elephant birth at Melbourne Zoo. And now it's the first naturally conceived birth there. And uh, they're going to decide the new baby elephant's name uh, through a naming competition run by the zoo. 
Yes. Well, what's interesting is that um, Dukon, the 29-year-old Asian elephant, the mother, set a record in 2010 as the first elephant birth at Melbourne Zoo and now she's delivered the first birth by natural conception with her eldest daughter by her side. So it's quite exciting times and uh, it's, uh, oh, well, it's just cute, isn't it? You look at the pictures of the little baby elephant there <laughs> with its mother and... Uh, <laughs> hiding under its mother. It's uh, it's one of those heart warmers, isn't it, Russell? It, it, it is. And apparently the other female relatives were sort of very, they, they look after it and guard it and are very um, careful of the new ones, uh, which is a natural instinct kicking in. It's good to have a new good news story in there, isn't it? It is. Well, we've got two in a row, the new treatment. We've got elephant out of the womb. We've got, uh, well, hard-earned Thursday needs a big cold beer. I'm sure those people are enjoying the new Fridays in uh, on Thursday nights. The next one's a bit more gloomy, isn't it? But um, should we just hide it because it's not the sort of news we like to hear, Russell? No, it needs to be said. Yes, and it's from the Herald Sun, School Office Staff Surge. Uh, now, the Central and Regional Staff of the Education Department, they've grown more than 80% since 2015. Uh, that's when the Andrews government came into power. And the Save Our Schools lobby group analysis shows that since 2009, the number of non-teaching staff in public schools has grown by 60%, and that compares with a 29% increase in the number of teachers and a 20% rise in student numbers. Now, these uh, non-teaching staff are involved with things like finance, performance, monitoring, regulation and compliance roles, and they're not into welfare or counselling roles. They're not counting that group. Uh, Malcolm Elliott, the president of the Primary Principals Association, he felt the admin staff were creating more work for them and uh, because such things as risk management and audits and developmental statistics takes a lot of time to, to work on. Uh, since 2009, the administrative and clerical staff uh, at regional and central offices is up by 84% and 57% respectively. It's 84% for admin and 57 for clerical. Now, the Australian Catholic University researcher, Dr. Rafan Dailiri Ngamatia, apologies if that's not right, uh, says that teachers are burnt out by data-driven process and growing admin workload. And uh, in independent schools, Victoria agrees, all the, all the different uh, aspects of the school uh, body. So you'd uh, probably go along with a lot of that, would you, too, about the amount of admin stuff that teachers mm. are required to do? Yeah, look, you, you couldn't help but say our workload in terms of admin, compliance, accountability, um, it certainly hasn't decreased in any, in any shape, form or manner with respect to a growing bureaucracy, um, I would say, um, anecdotally, there's an inverse relationship between a growing bureaucracy and uh, and and the workload. Ours is increasing too. So rather than dropping, it's uh, it's growing, uh, and, and it's not helping the situation in so far as making the job more uh, attractive to people. We're struggling terribly this year, uh, and and that's been on the, on the oil for some time now, Russell, with attracting staff both in the school level and also um, at, well, at the leadership and the teacher and ES staff level. It's, um, it's, not, it's, not too, it's not too colourful a word to say we have a crisis. Yes. Well, I was reading about, uh, that's fairly right across, isn't it? Uh, a lot of schools can't fill our vacancies, no one applies, and uh, the, the high schools have got to 
perhaps cut down the senior subjects or combine Then you classes. appoint people and they get headed yeah. by someone else offering them something else. The culture's changed in public schools a little bit, I see. It's far more um, free enterprise, dog-eat-dog world now when it comes to staffing, and I, I don't think that uh, that augurs well systemically, Russell, at all. So that is a big worry, and our decision-makers uh, and our governments have got some, I think, I think deep thinking to do to arrest this trend um, in the coming in the coming years. Yes. Odd spot. This wasn't yeah. you, was it? Oh, you're not. You 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 weren't over in uh, a marathon in China, were you? No, no, not not lately. <laughs> a, a Chinese man caused a stir when photos appeared of him running a marathon last week while chain smoking. The 50-year-old, known as Uncle Chen, completed the Sun Yang Chu. I actually did a Google search on how to pronounce that uh, marathon in three hours and 28 seconds. So he completed in that time, repeatedly lighting up along the course. He finished 574th out of more than 1,500 runners. So he's sort of in the top third. Now, while smoking is not recommended at the best of times, let alone on a 42-kilometre run, there was apparently no rule stopping the man from sucking on a cigarette on the course. <laughs> what fellow runners thought of his habit can only be guessed. <laughs> I, I had to read that twice to believe it. Yes. You would have thought people going in a marathon run would be pretty fitness-oriented, and if they smoked, right. <laughs> which wouldn't be a good thing for training anyway, you would no. think they wouldn't do it in the run. Well, you imagine running uh, – you know, gulps of air, meant to be air anyway, into your lungs. Instead of that, you're filling it up with nicotine and all sorts of nasties, aren't you? You want to be running behind him in the slipstream, which he'd be... <laughs> As he's lying down. <laughs> no wonder he finished 500. He yeah. probably, probably gassed everybody, the other the other two-thirds of the uh, the runners by their yeah, no, exhaled probably, smoke. Yeah, that's probably, they, they probably held back to keep away from him. <laughs> probably. But, I mean, you don't see that very often anyway. I've never seen a person out there jogging when you go running. And you don't normally see people out there jogging, running, as, you know, a fag hanging out of their mouth, do you? No, I've never no. seen it. Have you, Russell? No, not even in the old days. I don't think I, I can remember that. Yeah. No, I, I do know sporting people. When I was young, I've never smoked, but I, did, I do remember there were sporting people who I was surprised, but they actually smoked, you know, after and before matches, but not not during the game, so that is a, a classic. You don't do it while you're bike riding, do you? No, no, I, no, I don't. I leave that, uh, try to get the fresh air if I can and suck as much <laughs> air as, as oxygen as I can get. <laughs> you, you, you don't you don't tailgate big trucks with, you know, exhaust fumes coming out full of carbon monoxide either, do you? No, I, I try to avoid them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that takes us out for this week, Russell. We've had some really good stories there. The elephant out of the womb, the new treatment for cancer... Uh, kidney cancer people, and also the big nights that people are now starting to enjoy on a Thursday, not a Friday, as we move into another phase of um, the COVID thing and the oddest of odd spots, as well as, you know, the, the problems we're having in um, with our education systems across the country. All in all, overall balance, plus... On the positive? Yes. Yeah, I think so. That's right. And you've got no homework for next week, so well, oh, good. well done. Enjoy. Enjoy. Don't don't, tell, don't have a puff on the weekend, will you? No, no, I won't uh, do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was Russell Hanby, uh, my co-host for What's Making News. I must say that uh, 
I, I did find that story about the uh, chain-smoking uh, marathon runner in China just a little bit uh, hard to take. Anyway, have a great weekend. We'll catch you soon.